seated. Thank you so much. As you're being seated, let me invite you to take your Bibles and turn with us to the book of Jude. Jude, which Jude is right before the book of Revelation, so you can find it. Um, Jude, and I would say Jude chapter 5, but there's only one chapter in, in Jude, so if you'll find that, and we'll be looking at that in just a few moments. Um, Teresa, you're, you're probably, I'm not going to ask you to stand, Teresa, but okay, th we're, there's, this is a fundraiser, and it's called Fight Like Avery, okay, and uh, okay, Teresa, that's all I can say, what, tell, that's okay, we're family, tell us, okay, we're, we're doing t-shirts and uh, bracelets and card, okay, and um, many of you probably already have seen one of these or know that can go to the website, okay, and they can purchase these, and you can do it online, right, through Vimo and PayPal, and, okay, or they can see you. Okay, okay. now, um, are we going to wait and order these items, or, okay, okay, all right, so, will you be in the foyer after church with these, okay, <laughs> This will settle the issue, okay? I'll confuse you, but in order not to be confused, after church, um, Teresa will be in the foyer with these, these uh, forms that you can use to place, place your order, okay? And uh, when I say we, I'm, I mean this because we love Avery and we love Chaz and Melissa uh, and little Sawyer, cutie pie Sawyer. I wrote that. I did. But I don't have to live with her, but cutie pie to me, right? <laughs> Hey, and, uh, but we, or they, start treatments tomorrow, and uh, so we, uh, we want to pray for them, and we have been praying for them, and we're, we're looking forward to see what God's going to do uh, with and through uh, Avery Jordan. Um, like I mentioned, the book of Jude, uh, your Bible's open to Jude chapter 1, or Jude, um, Jude is a prophetic book, and I, I'm, I'm not going to talk a lot about the history of it, but just to let you know, Jude was also a half-brother of Christ, okay? And the book of Jude is extremely prophetic, especially when it comes to the conditions of unbelief before Jesus comes back. Now again, let me say that again. Jude was a half-brother of Jesus, just like James, uh, James the Just, or James that wrote the book of James in the Bible. He's also a half-brother of Jesus. Jude is also a half-brother of Jesus. And his book, the book of Jude, is extremely prophetic. But before I read Jude, there are some Bible verses I want to read before I get to Jude. But I want to mention something because I uh, usually there is purpose behind what Robbie reads. Okay, uh, There are on occasions I absolutely forget to ask him to read a certain passage and we have to do it at the last minute. But... Robbie read uh, the, the account of the temptation of Christ found in, in Matthew's gospel. There are so many things about this that are so profound. I'll let you do the study on your own. But him going out into the desert was for a reason. Normally, in the mind of a Jewish person, that's where the demons were the most active, was in a deserted place. If you're reading the Bible and it mentions the waterless places, waterless, 
the opposite of waterless places are deserted places. And according to the Jewish mindset, uh, demons, and even you might even say fallen angels, but demons, evil spirits, and we talked about that last week, were extremely more active in the wilderness. And just to let you know, if you'll remember when in the sacrificial system of the Old Testament, remember there was a goat called the scapegoat? Do like this. Okay. There was a scapegoat, right? And remember where the scapegoat, they would, the, the high priest would place his hands symbolically on the scapegoat. And do you remember where they would send the scapegoat? Into the wilderness. Well, Jesus goes into the wilderness to fulfill what Adam started was wrong. Adam and Eve failed. Jesus is the last Adam, and he's going to conquer the temptation of the devil. So he goes into the devil's playing ground, and he conquers the devil. Interesting. He's the one, he's the God-man that we can trust as our Savior. But it's interesting that when you, when you read the context, you have the Son of God at the beginning of his ministry fasting 40 days and 40 nights, and the devil comes to him and basically offers him the kingdoms of the world. Now, listen to what I'm saying, okay? The devil offers Jesus, the, the Son of God, the devil offers Jesus the kingdoms of the world if you'll fall down and worship me. Jesus did not rebuke the devil for that statement. He rebuked him because he, mis, he, he misquoted scripture. But he didn't rebuke him because the devil offered him the kingdoms of the world. Now, here, you with me? Why didn't Jesus rebuke him for offering him the kingdoms of the world? He owns them. Because who's the God of this age? Who's the prince of the power of the air? They go on and on and on. This is his kingdom. And and folks, if we touched on this a little bit last week, and I'm going to stretch your mind a little bit again today. When God, when, when, the, when the tower, of, you, had, you had, okay, the three big issues are Adam, Adam and Eve's sin, okay? Then you have the Genesis 6 issue where you had the, the angels that came down and sort, consorted with women and produced Nephilim, and that went on for about 1,500 years, okay? And uh, then, so you had that, and that's why the flood came. So you had the fall of Adam and Eve. You had, you had Adam, I mean, you had the flood with Noah. And then about 200 years later, you had an event called the Tower of Babel. Those, to the Jewish mind, these are the three events that have caused man to be as wicked as he is. And it was at the Tower of Babel in Genesis 11. God came down. Interesting. I love the way it reads. You know, they tried to build something up, right? Did they get very far? Well, it doesn't matter how far they got, because guess what? God had to come down. And God came down because he's sovereign. He saw what they were doing. And, of course, he, he, he confused. You remember, what did he do at the Tower of Babel? ba 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 What did he do? He confused their languages. That's Babel, confusion. He confused their languages and he rejected those nations. And then a few years later, he makes his own people and he promises Abraham, a 90-year-old man, or 99 at the time, that he and his wife, who's 90, are going to bear offspring and he's going to make a great... See, 
See, so all the other nations, even to this day, have been cursed and rejected. And the only way folks can be saved now is by the preaching of the gospel. And, and that's why at the, the events of Pentecost, everything changed because at Pentecost, there were people, there were devout Jews from every language. You can read it in Acts 1 that heard the gospel and the gospel was able to be carried all over the world. Now this world that's in the lap of Satan, that's according to 1 John 5. The whole, 1 John 5 says the whole world lies in the lap of Satan. Now the world that's lying in the lap of Satan, the gospel can go anywhere in that world. They can hear the gospel of Jesus Christ and God can birth them or bring them out of darkness into his marvelous light. This goes back to when I finished last Sunday. When, when Jesus says, and on this rock I will build my church. This is Matthew 16. Think about what he said. This is Matthew 16, 14. Peter makes the confession. And there is an issue with the rocks and the stones. There's a play on words. Peter's not the Pope. Jesus didn't establish a papal authority. He's not the replacement. The, Peter's not the replacement. Catholicism's wrong. So, but Jesus says, and on this rock, which was, which was Peter's confession, on this rock I will build my church. Then he says, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. So what Jesus was talking about is, is now the gospel and the work of Christ. We're out there against the devil and his kingdom, and day by day folks are being bought out of the slave market of sin and out of wickedness and darkness, and they're brought into the kingdom of God. So the gates of hell are not going to stop our attack with the gospel. But this is the only way folk can be saved. We're in the dispensation of grace. It's the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. But the next great prophetic event in human history, we're in the church age, the next great prophetic event in human history is going to be the catching away of the church called the rapture. And then soon after that, there's going to be another historic event with the church being removed. Going to be what the church or Jesus calls, quoting the book of Daniel, the great tribulation. So we've been talking about, for months we've been talking about prophecy, and for several months we've actually been now in the book of Revelation. In a moment, I'm going to read some of Jude, and that's going to kind of get us ready to go into to Revelation chapter 10, 10 and 11. While you hope, and I do this to you all the time, and I know I do, but you know, what are you going to do? Get up and walk out. So hold your finger at Jude or in Revelation 1, where, and I want you to go back to the book of Daniel, okay? And you think, that brother Bryce, he's kind of, kind of out there. And uh, I know Diane and I, and I've told you this, there are some things that I, I don't talk about sometimes because Diane threatens me. She says, you better, you better not bring that up in there. So, uh, but I'm in Daniel chapter 10. And I just want to review just a couple of things and then we'll go back to Jude in the book of Revelation because we do want to read part of, of Revelation, Revelation chapter 10. I'm going to show you in Scripture just briefly how we know that the world is on the domain of Satan and that um, the Bible calls him, and I'll read these in a minute, the prince of the power of the air, the God of this age. There's a reason for that. 
Revelation 12, 9, we'll get to it in a couple of weeks. Revelation 12, 9 says, the deceiver of the whole world will be cast down. So we know that the devil has a work and the devil keeps people in darkness and deception. Let me just say this. Even though I've been saved 40, 44 years, 45 years almost. No, I just celebrated my 45th anniversary. That's right. I still remember what it was like to be, be lost. I got saved at 16, but I still remember what it was like to be lost. And what the devil did to me or the evil spirits did to me to try to convince me not to get saved or to reject the gospel are the same things he does today. He'll try to convince you it's not true. He'll try to bring up every Christian hypocrite you've ever met. He'll bring to your remembrance. And you'll think, well, if that's a Christian, I'm just as good as they are, so I, I don't really need this Jesus. Every conceivable stumbling block will come in your mind and heart and give you reasons why you don't need to be saved. They're all lies from the pits of hell. Life, to have life, is in Christ and Christ alone. You know that. So if you're here today and you've never been saved, there is salvation in no other name. Under heaven, given among men, whereby you must be saved. You must be saved from your sins. And otherwise, you will, you will pay in full for all your sins. Uh, and I would rather accept Christ's substitutionary sacrifice for my sins than to pay for mine myself. Amen? I think that's the wiser, wiser choice. If you'll remember in Daniel chapter 9, since you're at 10, we'll back up to chapter 9. Three or four of the most important Bible verses in prophecy. And this is where Jesus quotes from. Jesus in Matthew 24 quotes from Daniel 9. But Daniel 9, 24 through 27 summarizes Israel's prophetic history, which is amazing. It summarizes the nation of Israel's prophetic history. And it deals with a 490-year period. And if you'll remember, I'm not going to read it all, it deals with 483 years, two, you know, compose them together, 69 weeks, 483 years, which was the decree of Artaxerxes to the time that Jesus marched into Jerusalem on the day of the triumph, the Sunday, the triumphal entry of Jesus, which is exactly 483 years to the day. Then there's this final seven-year period, which is for Israel. And the final seven-year period of history on this earth as we kind of know it, this last seven years is called the tribulation. And the last three and a half years of that seven years is called the great tribulation. Jesus quotes from what Daniel has to say here in Daniel 9. So we've looked at this in the past, so I'm not going to pick up there, but I'm just telling you the perfect... Daniel has some of the greatest prophetic words in the whole Bible about the end of days. But I just want to show you this real quick. I'm in Daniel chapter 10, and uh, he gets a vision. Verse 2 says, In those days I, Daniel, was mourning for three weeks. I ate no delicacies. He had been praying, okay? And his prayers was delayed in hearing. Verse 10, And behold, a hand touched me and set me trembling on, on my hands and knees. And he said to me, O Daniel, man greatly loved, understand the words that I speak to you and stand upright, for now I have been sent to you. 
And when he had spoken his word to me, I stood up trembling. Then he said to me, Fear not, Daniel, for from the very first day that you set your heart to understand and humbled yourself before your God, your words have been heard. So Daniel, after Daniel 9, which is from beginning to end, Daniel 9, from verse 1 till the end is an incredible chapter, Daniel started praying. So that's kind of what it is. And, but he had not heard, gotten the answer to the prayer. Uh, Fear not, Daniel, for from the very first day that you set your heart to understand and humbled yourself before your God, your words have been heard, and I have, I, and I have come because of your words. The prince of the kingdom of Persia. Now, the prince. Of, now, it's not the prince of darkness. It's not the prince of the power of the air. It's not Satan. But notice what the text says. It says. <clears throat> The prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me 21 days. So the angel that's coming to answer Daniel's prayer was held up by some spiritual warfare with a prince of Persia. Okay, So there was some spiritual entity that had been signed the area of Persia. Well, let me remind you that all of that started back at the Tyre of Babel. And that over the nations, to this very day, over the nations, there's prince, there's, there's, there's deities, there, not deities, there's little G for little gods, there's, there's fallen angels, there's spirits that control or try to control nations and countries. That's what their goal is. So you have the prince of Persia. You haven't seen anything yet. So you have the prince of Persia here, and so, it, and so he battled, and so the battle went on until Michael shows up. And of course, Michael's the warring angel. He's one of the archangels. So Michael shows up. says, um, so, but Michael, one of the chief princes, now he's a chief prince for the good guys, right? You have bad angels, right, that are over nations and rulers, okay? But then you have Michael. So it says, so Michael one of the chief princesses, uh, came to help me, for I, for I was left there with the kings of Persia. And he came to make, I'm sorry, and came to make you understand what is to happen to your people in the latter days, for the vision is for the days yet to come. So he's saying, Michael wants you to get this vision too. So, so Michael shows up and so he makes sure that I no longer have to battle with the prince of Persia. Now I'm going to save some time, but go down to verse 18. He says, Again, one having the appearance of a man touched me and strengthened me. And he said, O man greatly loved, fear not. Peace be with you. Be strong and of good courage. And as he smoke, spoke to me, I was strengthened and said, Let my Lord speak, for you have strengthened me. Then he said, Do you know why I have come to you. But now I will return to fight against the prince of Persia. And when I go out, so he's going to have to go fight the prince of Persia again. Uh, and when I go out, behold, the prince of Greece will come. Okay. Now, it doesn't tell us the details, but it tells us that the same angel that delivered the answer to the prayer and spoke with Daniel and gave Daniel understanding into all prophecies that he had battled the prince of Persia. It looks like he's going to meet the prince of Persia again. Then there's going to be the prince of Greece he's going to have to deal with. Just to let you know, Greece was not even an identity yet when this was spoken. 
So there's going to be a an, in, there's going to be a fallen angel, whatever you want to say. There's some kind of spiritual force, and a prince means that there's rulers underneath the prince. Okay, it's a military term, and I'll show you a Bible verse that tells us that. So there's not just one prince. There's a prince, but there's other evil authorities and rulers and and evil things underneath that. Now, chapter twelve, Dan, I'm still in Daniel. Okay, Daniel twelve one. Just a little fun fact to learn and enjoy. At that time shall arise Michael, the great prince who has charge of your people. Now, who's, who's God's people? Who? Israel, right? Am I right? Shake your head like this. To this day, guess what Michael the angel, guess what nation Michael watches after? Which Who is it? Israel. And folks, the, and then this is an unseen world that you and I can't see that when you're reading the book of Revelation, because we're gone and we're in heaven, but it does seem like that veil or that, that the, the sheet that separates that we can't, begins to kind of get thinner and there are things that cross over. And sometimes that might happen now, but it just shows you that there's this, there's this battle going on, this spiritual battle that we can't see. It's a worldwide battle, and now it's for the souls of men. It's about heaven and hell. It's about the King of Kings, right? The Lord Jesus Christ. Now, since you're holding your finger there and you're doing a good job, may I say, I want you to, I want you to go to the book of Ephesians, okay? Since you're holding your finger at June. Go to uh, Ephesians chapter 5. And I had not really planned to, to do this today, but since I'm here and you're here, let's do it. Ephesians 5, uh, I'm sorry, Ephesians 6, um, it's on the same page in my Bible, I still was right. Uh, Ephesians 6, look at verse 10. It says, finally be strong, Ephesians 6.10. Finally be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. You see, last week I mentioned, now these are fallen angels. These are, these are, are high-ranking fallen entities that are ruling, trying to rule these nations and influence. Let me ask you something. Do you think something demonic is affecting some of our governmental leaders? Okay. I mean, it's obvious. And, and of course, this has been true all, all of American history. But there is a spiritual battle. And, and, so, and who, so rather than fool with me or you, some of these entities, this is what they do. This is, this is the devil's plan, is to, is to sow seeds of discord, to, to, to create, you know, to love homosexuality, to mess up marriage, to kill babies in the womb. That's their goal. He's a murderer. Uh, he's a pervert. All these things, that's what their goal is. And, and so that's what their entities try to convince these other nations or, or areas to do. But anyway, so, so last week we looked at, um, we mentioned demons. Now we didn't look straight at it real heavy, but evil spirits, which are synonyms, evil spirits. Um, um, what's the other spirit I'm talking about? Evil spirits, demons. Oh, there's some others. But anyway, those are, they're bad, and, 
And those are the ones that possess people. Some days you read this, we've talked about that. But they're not like these. They're not as powerful as these that we're talking about now. And unclean, I'm clean, that's right. Unclean spirits, plural. Unclean spirits, singular. Un, uh, evil spirits, plural. Evil spirits, singular. And demons. All those are synonyms. We move on. Chapter 6, verse 11, Ephesians. So Paul says, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not struggle or we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. So people made in the image of God are not our enemy. You with me? That's not the problem, right? The devil's the problem. Evil spirits. Ultimately, this is the issue. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against... Now, just take my word for this. Every term that Paul uses, if you study the word in the original language and, and do that, you will find that these are territorial words. They're military words, but the territorial words. These are... These are the entities that are involved in what Daniel 10 was talking about. These are them. So it says, we don't wrestle with flesh and blood, but against, against, but against the rulers, archons is the Greek word, against authorities, exousia. They would be like a captain or a, a major or something, somebody up the food chain. Against the cosmic powers over this present darkness. World rulers, cosmocrators, world authorities or world rulers. If you're a Seinfeld fan, the old show Seinfeld, I never watched it, but I've heard about it. That's a lie. Cosmo, one of the guys on the show was Cosmo Kramer. That's almost exactly this Greek word, cosmocrator, world rulers. And these are all territorial and, and military terms. Rulers and authorities and cosmic powers over this present darkness against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Now, folks, that's, a, that's, the, that's just a general term of the warfare that you and I are a part of. Now go to the book of Jude. Verse 5. <clears throat> well, I can't start at verse 5. I've got to start at verse 3. Beloved, although I was very eager to write to you about our common salvation. So, so Jude was thinking about maybe writing about the doctrines of the faith. Uh, doctrine of salvation, glorification maybe, uh, sanctification, justification by faith, uh, grace the work of the Spirit, just something common among believers. But then he says, but I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. To contend. Uh, also the word, you could translate the word box. You could translate the word wrestle. You could translate the word to go to the arena of competition. Uh, the idea of intensity is part of this word. I mean, it's uh, preparing for conflict. So, Paul, so Jude says, I write and I'm appealing to you 
Now this, folks, because of what I just read about all these spiritual entities and what Jude's going to remind us about, to contend earnestly for the faith that was once for all delivered. For New Testament faith, we must contend earnestly. For apost- We call it, uh, the theological term sometimes is called apostolic faith. It's the, it's the doctrines that were laid down by the apostles that we read out of the Bible. That these are the things that we need to contend for. These are things that we're willing to go to the arena and do battle with. There are forces that are against this truth, but we need to be willing to stand. Just think of the idea of contend for the faith. Are you and I willing to contend for the faith? Number one, you have to know how to defend it. I mean, there's things, so much implications there when you talk about contending for the faith. Verse 5, now I want to remind you, although you once fully knew it, that Jesus, who saved the people out of the land of Egypt, which I love that because it reminds us that the miracle-working part of the plagues and the salvation, uh, parting the Red Sea, right? Remember, parting the Red Sea? You could say, remember, it it relates to baptism. When I baptized two or three weeks ago, I, I related that. Coming out of, he split the waters and, he, he parted the waters and coming out of the waters now there's life. And he parted the waters. And so Egypt passed. I mean, the Jews passed through and were set free. And baptism is a picture of you and I being set free through the work of Jesus Christ by following him and being saved and then being baptized. So I remind you, although you once fully knew it, that Jesus who saved the people out of the land of Egypt afterwards destroyed those who did not believe. If you remember the 40 years of wandering. Those that were above 19 perished in the 40 years. Anyway, because of disobedience and the angels. So he's reminding us that God's going to hold the world accountable. Even people that know about him, he's going to hold accountable. Okay? And the angels. Are you looking at your Bibles? Look, I'm not making this up. And the angels who did not stay within their own position of authority. There's only one group of angels that did not keep in their position of authority. You can go back and read that in Genesis 6. Now, there's not as much in Genesis 6 as you wish there was in explaining it. There are tons of other Bible references that tell us about what the giants did in, in the Old Testament. And there's other history books that help us. But what Jude's reminding us is, is, is God, that man is wicked... We're slaves, God will set you free, but he's still going to hold the world accountable. So, so he says, and the angels who did not stay within their own position of authority, and if you'll remember, that they, they took on human form enough to cohabitate with women, and they had offspring. Now, here's what's interesting, and we won't deal with it this morning, but if you're thinking in your mind, so you had, and history says that, the, the number of angels that started this thing, that, that uh, about 900 years after creation, no, take that back, about 600 years after creation, they started doing this. There was supposedly, this isn't in the Old Testament, they just say there's other Jewish books, that started this, there were 200 angels that, did, that started this. But what I want you to think about is, so... And we, it's right there. It's in Genesis 6. 
So when they have children, they're monsters, they're Nephilim, they're giants, they're wicked, they're, they're demonic, they're evil, they're fallen angels, they're part fallen angel. They're a horrible seed. They've corrupted the seed of man. Well, they're called Nephilim. Well, those Nephilim also went and had relations and had offspring. Those people had devil seed in them. Then that second generation also went and had relations, and they had offspring. So when you start reading the Old Testament, you hear phrases like the Zamzumims, the Raphaims. It just kept going on and on and on until God had to destroy the earth with water. He wiped them clean. And sadly to say, because it's a spiritual battle, they show up again, but we move on. He destroyed those who, it says, and the angels who did not stay within their own position of authority, but left their proper dwelling. Uh, great word. He has kept in eternal chains under gloomy darkness until the judgment of the great day. By the way, Peter, 2 Peter 2, almost says exactly the same thing. 2 Peter 2, 1 through 10. We don't have time to read it. But so, so you have this group of people that did all this. And so God has bound these. So they can't do this again, right? They're held in eternal chains. Now, scholars that know the Bible better than me and, and know the languages and all that, many of them believe that when we read last week was Revelation 9, which is the scariest to me, the scariest judgments, because you have the, you know, the, the horse-sized locusts that have the head, hair like women, face of a person, you know, flying around, stinging people, and then after that you have another that can kill. All that in chapter 9, that is just horrifically scary. Many believe what first comes out of the, the pit, out of the abyss, they're in hell, right? They come, the abyss, the key was open to the bottomless pit. That's hell. The abuso was opened and these demonic figures come out, right? We, many scholars believe it's these angels that have been held there since the, God bound them up. Can you, the chaos they caused the first time around, can you imagine the chaos they're going to cause the second time around? And if they were wickedly perverted the first time around, can you imagine the second time around when the restrainer's been removed anyway? So you can imagine the wickedness that's going to befall the earth as bad as it is now, it's going to get worse. He has kept in eternal chains into gloomy darkness until the judgment of the great day. Then he mentions another group of people. Also sexual. Just as, just as Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding cities, which likewise indulged in sexual immorality and pursued unnatural desire. By the way, there's two ways. Number one, homosexuality, but also they tried to have relations with angels, right? Who were in human form, but yet there's some, some cursing that God doesn't, that's an abomination. And so, and, and pursued unnatural desire. So Sodom and Gomorrah, are you looking at your Bibles? Serve as an example by undergoing a punishment of eternal fire. By the way, in, uh, in Genesis, I forgot what chapter. I mentioned this last week, but the phrasing is just incredible. When, when Abraham and Lot, 
their, their cattle, their herds got too big and they couldn't get along and, and nobody's, the pasture land couldn't serve all their animals and their, their workers were fussing about things. And so Abraham says to Lot, pick somewhere. And so they're down, you know, they're in the Jordan Valley. And so, so Lot looks and the phrase in, in Genesis says, he saw a well-watered plain that was like the Garden of God. The Garden of Eden. That it was like the Garden of God. Folks, that's the area today called the Dead Sea. And the areas around the Dead Sea. You can't grow anything down there. That stands as a testimony. Peter says the same thing, 2 Peter 2. As a testimony that God's going to hold human beings accountable and God's going to hold evil entities accountable. Jesus is king. He's God and king over hell. He's God and king over this world. He's God and king over your soul. He's king of all things. He's king of kings and lord of lords. Verse 8. We're going to run out of time. I'm sorry. I hadn't even got in my introduction yet. But we know something. We've learned some things, hadn't we? It says, yet in like manner. I'm in verse 8. Yet in like manner, these people, which probably goes back, if you're looking at the grammar, to Sodom and Gomorrah, also relying on their dreams, defile the flesh, reject authority, and, and of course, part of that was the demons and the evil that led them to defile the flesh also was part of this world, this, this whole... The Bible uses the word divine counsel. God had a divine counsel. And some of those in that divine counsel rejected God's authority and pursued other things. And that's kind of how some of this other stuff started. That's what he's referring to. Uh, they, rege- they defile the flesh in many ways, whether it's homosexuality or rape, whatever. They reject authority and they blaspheme God's holy angels. That's what the word glorious ones would mean. It's, it's a higher level of, of angels. Well, I'm going to run out of time, so let me finish Jude real quick. Go to verse 17. Here's the challenge. You keep going on. There's just all kind of bizarre things that Jude mentions that God's going to hold people, uh, hold people accountable he talks about holding people in gloomy darkness. Uh, but verse 17, but you must remember. Let me tell you what we need to remember. You ever think about what must you remember? This is the world. Folks, this spiritual warfare is still going on. Now, because of the grace of God and the power of Christ, it doesn't manifest itself like it could. We know there's a restrainer. We know the Bible teaches that. But... One day that restrainer is going to be removed. But what do we need to remember? There's this warfare going on. There's these. When you say the world is lost. If you say the world is lost. The world is condemned. The world is going to hell. It's true. It is. If you want to say that people without Christ are in darkness. It's true. They're in darkness. It didn't start a thousand years ago. It started 3,500 years ago. This world is in darkness, but Jesus is the light of the world. And so we want to share the gospel. So, so Jude, 
says, but you must remember, beloved, he's talking to the believers of the first century. God's, and he really, you could translate this, you must remember God's word. He says, you must remember the predictions of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. So Jude wrote late enough that he knew that some of the apostles had already, writing, had already started writing scripture. So you could, you could really say for us that, but you must remember God's word. Uh, you must remember the predictions of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, I just wrote down right here, you must learn, you must remember, remember to love Jesus. Live the truth and long for Christ's return. In light of the book of Jude, what am I going to remember? Well, I'm going to remember to love Christ supremely. I'm going to remember to, look, to live God's gospel truth. And I'm going to remember to long for the soon return of our Lord Jesus Christ. They said to you, verse 18, They said to you in the last time there would be scoffers following their own ungodly passions. It is these who cause divisions. And this is church life. He's talking about believers. Amongst believers, you're going to have all this confusion. It is these who cause divisions, worldly people, devoid of the Spirit. But you, beloved, building yourselves up on your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit. Keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of the Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. Waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. And have mercy on those who doubt. Save others by snatching them out of fire, out of the fire. To others show mercy with fear. Hating even the garments that are stained by the flesh. He's just talking about all the people that are being affected by corruption of this world, by the entities that are still affecting the spiritual desires of the world. And our, our role in life is not only to remember, but we're to remain firm, remain standfast, and we're to expose these things. I love that phrase, snatching them out of the fire. Folks, have you ever thought about part of our ministry is snatching people out of the pits of hell, sharing the gospel so that they might leave the pit of hell and be born into the kingdom of God? One last passage. Since we're there, go to Revelation 10. Remember, we had dealt with three woes. I'm not going to read many scriptures, but I, I do want to go to chapter 10. Next week, we'll pick up at chapter 10 and 11. And this is where, where the woes, he mentioned the three woes. Was, the woes were trumpet five, trumpet six, and trumpet seven. And uh, the third woe is, the second woe, the first woe was the demons at the beginning of chapter nine. The last woe, 
we're going to find out it's going to carry us all the way through the book of Revelation 19 and to the end, you know, when, when the, at the Battle of Armageddon. Um, but I want you to see what, John, what happens to John, and we'll finish with this. But this is true of me and you. If you and I understand Scripture, we understand the biblical claim, we understand biblical prophecy, we understand that the, the little things I've shared with you this morning about the demonic world and about this spiritual battle that's going, it's true. But I want you to listen to what happens to John when John takes it in and thinks about where we are. He's kind of, he develops a biblical worldview and he responds to where, where the world is. He said, then I saw another mighty angel coming down from heaven, wrapped in a cloud, chapter 10, verse 1, with a rainbow. I'm not sure if this is Jesus or another angel. Uh, some scholars, they debate. We know it's a good angel, but it could be Jesus. There's things that kind of remind you about the rainbow, covenant, all that, but coming in a cloud. Jesus went in a cloud. Not sure. But it's somebody on Jesus' side, a high-ranking angel, or it could be a, a manifestation of Jesus. Then I saw another mighty angel coming down from heaven, wrapped in a cloud. I don't think it's Jesus because I think it would say it was Jesus, but let's move on. With a rainbow over his head and, and his face was like the sun. His legs were like pillars of fire. He had a little scroll open in his hand and, and, he, set his, and he set his right foot on the sea and his left foot on the land. Lord over all population. Okay? And called out with a loud voice like a lion roaring. And when he called out, the seven thunders sounded and and when the seven thunders had sounded, I was about to write. But I heard a voice from heaven saying, hey, don't seal it up. Don't write it. What, he says, seal up what the seven thunders have said. So we still don't know what the seven thunders have said, but let's move on. And do not write it down. And the angel whom I saw standing on the sea and on the land raised his right hand to heaven. And he swore by him who lives forever and ever. That's one reason why I don't think it's Jesus. That when you swear, you're swearing to someone greater. And there's no one greater than Jesus, right? So it's just probably another great angel. And he swore by him who lives forever and ever, who created heaven and, and what is in it, the earth and what is in it, and the sea and what is in it, and th there would be no more delay. So we're getting right, this is, we're getting right at the, sixth, the seventh trumpet, and you know that in that seventh trumpet, those seven bowls exist, and they're going to hit one right after the other, but we move on, verse 7. But that, in the days of, but that in the days of the trumpet call to be sounded by the seventh angel, the mystery of God will be fulfilled, just as he announced into his servants and the prophets. Then the voice that I had heard from the heavens spoke to me again, saying, Go take the scroll that is opened in the hand of the angel who is standing on the, sand, on the sea and on the land. So I went to the angel and I told him to give me the little scroll. And he said to me, take and eat it. Symbolically, this is what John sees. Take and eat it. And this is what the angel says to him. And folks, this is us reading this book today. This is us reading scripture. This is me and you knowing God's plan, not only of salvation, but knowing God's plan for judgment. We all have close friends that are going to the devil's hell. By the way, do you know hell was made for the devil and fallen angels? First of all, it wasn't made for lost people to begin. It was made for the devil and fallen angels. We have good friends. We have relatives. We have neighbors. We have people we know that are going to hell. 
And this reality, so John sees, so he takes this scroll, and the angel tells him, hey, take and eat it. It will make your stomach bitter, but your mouth, it will be sweet as honey. God's truth is sweet, right? It is sweet. The Bible says that the word is sweeter than also than honey and the honeycomb. But the truth of what's going to happen is bitter. So I took the little scroll from the hand of the angel and I ate it. It was sweet as honey in my mouth, but when I had eaten it, my stomach was made bitter. And then he says, you must again prophesy about many peoples and nations and languages and kings. Folks, here it is. And again, I'm sorry we didn't get much further, but the fact is God's truth is sweet. God's word is sweeter than honey in the honeycomb. And there's so much logic behind that and how they used to memorize scriptures in the Old Testament. They would use honey on the scrolls and they would, anyway, they would copy word for word or letter by letter and then eat the honey. So the Bible says your word is sweeter. What's better, the honey or your word? What's better is the word. But yet when we take all this truth in, it's bitter. It's bitter that, that I have relatives that are going to hell. It's bitter that we live in a fallen world. It's bitter that that other people legislate immorality, our own government's legislating sin. It's bitter, but it's truthful. Folks, we need to trust the Lord Jesus Christ and we need to trust His Word. Amen? Amen. Let's stand together for prayer. Chaz and Melissa, we're going to be praying for y'all tonight, tomorrow. You know that. We love you. And uh, please stop by and see, see in the foyer and pick up some paperwork for that from Teresa. God's good, amen? Amen. We'll see y'all Wednesday night. Let's pray. Lord, several times in this book of Revelation, John records these words that you said. I am coming again. Father, I believe that. And Father, I believe that one day you're going to take us out, that there is going to be the dead in Christ rising first and the catching up of those that are alive and remain. And Lord, I believe that all judgment's going to fall upon this earth. I believe in, in the seal judgments and the trumpet judgments and the bowl judgments. But Father, I also know and I also believe that Jesus Christ died to set sinners free. And Father, because he conquered, he, he conquered death, he paid the ransom price on the cross, was resurrected from the dead, my Lord and Savior offers me that life. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for life. Lord, today as we leave this place of worship, pray that as we go out into the world that we would be shining lights the salt. God, help us to walk by faith and and not by sight. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for the work of the church. In Christ's name, amen.